we learned that in Maryland and in the East in general, we have to look East. That uh, our industry here for too long has been looking West to California for advice, uh, for uh, techniques, for all that. And it's no knock against California. It's just that we think there's a, there's a huge gulf between growing grapes where it rains and growing grapes where it doesn't. Hello, and thank you for tuning in again. This week, we're at the Central Maryland Piedmont, sitting at the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. I'm about to speak to Ed Boyce, winemaker and co-owner of Black Ankle Vineyards. My name is Howard Fletcher, and this year's podcast is called The Number One Two. Why not go downtown for a bucket of nipple? Mac and cheese in the side of I wanna go downtown for a bucket of deck bones. They right next door to the taste of free. Black Ankle Vineyards is the culmination of a longtime dream of founders Ed Boyce and Sarah O'Haran. Uh, they opened up this winery in the early 2000s, uh, right here in Mount Airy, Maryland. It has the right mix of rolling hills, rocky and low fertility soils. Uh, has regular breezes, sunshine, and rain, all the right mix to make some really great blended Bordeaux wines. We sat down in the beautiful courtyard area of their tasting room uh, and had a really good conversation. So with no further ado, let's just listen to Ed talk about his great winery. Okay, I'm here in Black Angle Vineyard with uh, Ed Boyce, one of the owner operators. Thank you very much. This is really beautiful property. You hear the birds chirping in the background. Um, I, I had a lovely time here on Friday. Oh, great. Uh, I was able to stop into your tasting room. Uh, your uh, lovely uh, person, Becca, was here, who uh, introduced me to quite a few of your wines. I was very impressed. Great. Um, one of the reasons I'm here, I want to tell you this quick, uh, quickly. Um, I'm, uh, I'm from Maryland. Yeah. But yeah. Oddly enough, the only local wine I was really familiar with until about a year ago was Virginia wine. Huh, yep. And I know I, I've gone to almost uh, to plenty of wineries in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. When they find out I'm from Maryland, without uh, hesitation, they usually ask me about three vineyards. They ask me about Bay Cork, they ask me about Bordy, mm-hmm. but the common denominator has been Black Ankle. Yeah, well, and they all speak very highly of what you're doing well, here. That's great. Thank you. It's it's, uh, it's nice to hear. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about you, Ed. How did you and uh, Sarah O'Haran is your yep. partner? Yep. How did you all get into wine? And give me a little backstory of what's going we on. We kind of fell into it as as wine drinkers, mm-hmm. like a lot of people do. But um, we had both worked at a, a previous career as management consultants, and that was a, a job we'd always planned to do for a while, and then go do something else. So. Mm-hmm. The, the going leaving to do something else was easy. The the what something else was was something we had to figure out. And um, as we got to travel around the world and go to wine regions and things, we started asking ourselves, you know, do you think we could do this kind of thing at home? And um, we, being sort of uh, tenacious researchers, sort of started asking a million questions and going around to a lot of places. And we went to Chile and Australia and France and California and. Austria right and Italy and yeah we, we went everywhere asking them a million questions and came back and said you know I, th- I think we have the climate mm-hmm. to do it 
soil is going to be critical for us. So when we decided to take the plunge, uh, we all, the, the caveat was we could find a place that we thought had the right soils to grow the kind of wines we wanted to make. Did you know at that time you wanted to do it in Maryland, or were there other uh, options? We looked primarily in Maryland and Virginia. Okay. Uh, Sarah's family is from, uh, she's from Silver Spring, and her family lives all around us, mm -hmm. which is where we still live today. So we decided we were going to, for the for the kids, uh, we have five kids, and, and their grandparents live not far away, and their cousins live right down the street. So we said, all right, we're not, we're not going, we can't go anywhere. Uh, so the question was, could we do this in a relative, somewhere in commuting distance of, uh, of where we lived. So. First, how, how large of a, of a farm is it? Yeah, we're sitting in the middle of 146 acres. Uh, 56 is now planted to vines, and maybe, maybe we could squeeze another acre or two or three here. But the rest of it is either um, uh, floodplain, uh, wetland, and grapevines hate wet feet, so that won't work or uh, big slopes that are treed and we're gonna leave it uh, that way. So uh, we're pretty much planted out at Black Ankle. Were they growing anything, any grapes here at all before? No, it was a, it was a feeder farm for local dairy. So uh, you know, usual alfalfa, corn, soybeans, uh, wheat, barley, that, that sort of stuff. Okay, did you have any background in farming before? I know you said you did the research. Very, no, very little, very little. And, and I worked on a farm for a summer when I was 15. Uh -huh. That was about it. And um, Sarah, probably even less. Uh, so no, this was um, this was us just trying to say, all right, could could we do this? Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, and here we are, 15, 18 years later. So, so from the time you purchased the property, yep. Uh, when did you start your first plantings? I mean, did you have to clear a lot of land, or was it already ready for you to go ahead and plant the vines? Yeah, this this property was uh, ready for us to. We didn't have to do any clearing of trees. Okay. Uh, we we bought, purchased it in May of 2002 mm -hmm. and uh, took about a year to uh, get the soil ready to, you know, pre-planting and things like that, to order the right uh, grapevines from the nurseries, which takes 18 months. So we planted the first seven and a half acres in 2003, mm -hmm. and then we planted 15 more in 2004. And what varieties did you plant at that time? The uh, first seven and a half acres we planted were all red grapes, uh, and it was uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, um, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, a little bit of Tiferdeau, a little bit of Malbec, both as experiments, okay. and then some Syrah, the first, uh, I believe, among the first Syrah plantings in, in the East. Yeah, yeah, so. not, you don't find a lot of that. No, no. How so has much. that been doing? Syrah, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, we love the wines, and... Um, but it's a difficult grape to grow, and we have either through hard work and part luck have oh. ended up with a place that can grow it well. Uh, but it's it's finicky. Mm -hmm. so. When did you start planting white grapes? Uh, 2004. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you have a Chardonnay. We have Chardonnay. We have uh, our biggest white planting now is Albarino, the the Spanish grape. Uh, and then we have a couple acres of Viognier and uh, a couple acres of Gruner Felliner, the Austrian grape. Is there a grape that you wish you could grow here in this region, but it just doesn't work very well, so you probably won't? Uh, if you stop to, I wish I could grow, yeah, Grenache. Uh -huh. um, we may give it a shot. Yeah. I'm not, by reputation, it should not grow well here, but 
um, we have found that the, the reputation of uh, this grape does well in this condition and that grape does well in that condition doesn't always translate site to site. Soil mm -hmm. is so, so, so important in this business mm -hmm. that, yeah, the, the, the conventional wisdom isn't always, doesn't always work. Sometimes you just have to try things. So. Well, it's funny because uh, when I, I spoke to Dave Collins up at Big Corn, yeah. Oh, yeah. and um, during our conversation, I mentioned what I had been told, which was, Pinot doesn't do well. Pinot Noir doesn't do well here. Yep, yep. And his face changed. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he told me the same thing. He said, because they are working on, they are growing some. Yep. And he said, yep. we're, we're getting some good results. And I yeah. found out from Becca Friday that yep. you have some as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we have a little tiny half acre plot that we planted right. in 2004. And we can go to a long discussion of Pinot, but the, 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 we think we've kind of figured it out. Mm -hmm. So we've now planted, we just planted a little over two acres uh, this year mm -hmm. uh, of, of Pinot on a, on a very severe east-facing slope on a really rocky, lousy, uh, <laughs> thin soil. Mm -hmm. And we think that might be the spot that we can grow well. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. Let's talk about branding real quick. Mm -hmm. um, you are the, This is on Black Ankle Road. Yep. Uh, so I assume the name came with the place. Yeah, although you'd be amazed how many people say, wow, they named the road after you. And I think, no, <laughs> no, but anyway. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do you know the origin of we, that we, we hired a historian to try to find out, and she basically came back and said, yeah, sorry, I can't figure yeah. it out. Yeah, I, I tried myself, and my, yeah. my, my, my girlfriend, so. who's a writer, I said, oh, it sounds neat. It was it a, might have been a horse, you know, that had black ankles. Yeah. And I, I don't know. Well, it, it was. We know it's a very, very old road, and it was an Indian trail long before that. And it, it where you're up here in the hills, and then it goes down through the floodplain and place where it's it was probably muddy all the time. And so the 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 best guess is that it was just the place that you had to walk through mud to go through. So you had you had black ankles all the time. But uh, there are other people. There's a at one point there's a 90 degree turn in the road, and one of our neighbors said, "Oh yeah, the Black family used to own that." And they called it, it was Black right. Angle. Oh. And then the name got morphed into, uh, you know, we, I don't know. <laughs> I think that, we, that might work. We never know. Yeah, you never know. <laughs> so, okay, well. as many stories as there are neighbors. So, okay. Um, well, uh, you know, I imagine when you first opened yeah. a winery, not just you, but anybody who cares about the wine, you're trying to make a good product, you're trying to yeah. make good wine. It seems like you've mastered that. Um, Thank you. So, Let's go back to branding. You want to make your mark or set yourself apart. Uh, what, 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 did you have a strategy about doing that, or did you just put your product out there and let it speak for itself? Can I say yes to both those things? Absolutely. I'd um, like to hear more about it. Yes, we had a very uh, clear strategy, which I guess you could sum up as if we build it, they will come. Mm -hmm. We just thought we could make world-class wine here and that we were going to take our entire marketing budget if you will and put it into making better wine and then hope people would try it mm -hmm. and when they tried it and liked it they would tell other people and that's been our business model from day one and it's worked really well for us um we sort of you know we talk a lot about uh, internally about how in, in wine you can spend a huge amount of money trying to get the first bottle sold mm 
You know, if you think about your customers as people who have tried Black Ankle Vineyards wine and people who haven't, it's a little, little easy little segmentation of your customers. You, in the wine world, people design labels, they do advertising, they run the festivals, they do all sorts of things trying to get that person to try it the first time. Uh, we spend approximately zero effort on that. Mm -hmm. What we try to do is get uh, the, the, the wine right and the visitor experience right so that when they try it, they're likely to buy the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth bottle mm -hmm. after that. And that's what our, 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 our branding is based on that. Yeah. Uh, and, our, and our whole philosophy is really based on that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's different. It's very different than most wineries do, but it works for us. Well, I do like about your label, or at least your back label, is you have quite a bit of information yeah. on there about the planting and the, the soil and everything yeah and uh for wine drinkers that's pretty it's interesting it's like reading an album cover yeah. if you're old enough to remember what that yes was like. <laughs> definitely <laughs> yeah we we had long discussions about that and it, yeah. it's a little dorky but uh we we need to send the signal that we're serious about what we do so we decided to to put that on there mm -hmm. and say we as a as a way of saying yes we we pay a lot of attention to all the details in what we do yeah. so. uh this podcast is directed toward mainly people who drink craft beverages, number one. Yep. But number two, I also like talking with people listen who are business owners, especially mm -hmm. small business owners. And yep. so I like to talk about the challenges of running a business, sure. uh, not necessarily specifically the wine business, but in this case, we'll talk about that. Uh, since you didn't grow up in the business, that's why yeah. I think it's very, yeah, I'd like to hear your answer. Was there anything, you did a lot of research ahead of time, and obviously, you know, it paid off because I think this place is very, obviously, very well planned. Well, thank you. Um, was there anything that caught you by surprise, not weather-wise, because you can never, nope. <laughs> there's always nope. that, but uh, with... Yeah, with yeah, definitely. The, 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 I'd say the biggest surprise for us business-wise um, is the tie that our customers have to this place. We thought that we, that the wine was the most important thing and it still is mm -hmm. i think but the 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 farm here the place the buildings the the atmosphere the the everything about it uh is so much more important than we thought it was going to mm -hmm. be um we often think of ourselves almost um we have we have a very significant wine club at least for for maryland and i think for the mm -hmm. for the region we do uh, of uh, over 3,000 members right now. And um, this is almost like the clubhouse mm -hmm. for the club members. Mm -hmm. uh, we have wines that we run out of sometimes. We'll run out of our Crumbling Rock or one of our premium wines and things. And we'll have customers who come and bring a bottle of the 2008 <laughs> Crumbling Rock and come and just sit and drink a bottle that they brought from home right, right. because they want to hang out here. They could yes. have drunk it at home, but no, yeah. they, and, and that is very, uh, it knocked me over with a feather if, if I would have understood that when we started, um, the, the, the real tie that people would find to the place. So well, I, you know, I will say that, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, and it was obviously something that you planned out. Uh, this farm, your tasting room, and this facility is beautiful. 
thank you. Um, and the drive-in, which I, you can't take credit for necessarily, <laughs> but it certainly helps in the experience because you yeah. you know go through some rural areas and then maybe a little suburban rural. Then you go off in this beaten path like you're going to the Batcave. <laughs> yes, that's and true. And then you crest this hill and see these beautiful vineyards, you know, yeah. this beautiful vineyard, and you drive down, and uh, most, you know, most of the wineries in the Mid-Atlantic uh, are built in a colonial style yeah. Uh, yeah. or something like that, and this is far from that. This is not. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not. I Very mean, much I, not. I, I don't know. Yeah. You tell me what. Would you give it a, yeah. a, a style or name? Uh, wow, style. Um, I know I'm not so good with architectural yeah, styles. Right. I, I know th this building, uh, the buildings here, our thought was when we started this, we just want to grow grapes and make wine. That's, mm -hmm. We love the idea of starting from scratch, growing something, making the product, selling it directly to a customer. We, mm -hmm. we love that idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so we don't buy or sell grapes from anywhere. Mm -hmm. We're an estate winery. We were the only estate winery in Maryland when we started. Uh, there weren't very many, I think, in uh, other Virginia or other places around either. Mm -hmm. So when it came to deciding what kind of building to build, we thought, well, what's the, what's the message we want to send with, with the construction? Because everything you do sends a message to your customers. So we decided to try to build a building that was as close to an estate building as you yeah. can. So 90-some-odd yeah. percent of the materials in these buildings that we're looking at right now are from this farm. Mm -hmm. uh, that the wood used in building the framing was cut from our 60 acres of trees and the, the walls are made out of straw bales. Straw was grown in this field right out front. Um, the, the clay plaster on the inside is just the dirt that was dug up during the excavation and, and creating the site mm -hmm. plastered onto walls. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the bar tops are, are uh, made out of our uh, Cabernet Sauvignon and Cabernet Franc grapes, skins, and seeds, and prunings smashed into a countertop. Yeah, those it, are beautiful. I've never uh, seen those anywhere else. Well, I, I believe those are the only two in the world. <laughs> uh, they were custom done for us, and then the company went out of business, unfortunately. So I, I, we don't even know how to make another one. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, so, I was saying on um, Friday, I mean, that's a business opportunity there. I mean, I think plenty of people would, I would buy one of those. That's what I thought that to the company, but they, you didn't, I don't know. Anyway, off they went. I don't know where the equipment yeah. went to do that, because yeah. it's a really specialized thing. Yeah. So we, we said, let's, let's build with what we have. Uh, let's build a, a, a building with, you know, that's passive solar, so it mm -hmm. it's, gets the sun in the, in, the, in the winter but not in the summer. We've got solar panels here and down on the, on the barrel cellar to um, provide most of our power. We're, we're trying to see how little we can bring on through the farm gate mm -hmm. and instead use what we have here. And so the building sort of evolved from that. You see the green roofs. You see this and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's hard to do a, an architectural style necessarily <laughs> when you have to use what you have. Right. You, know, you have to use the rocks that you picked up from the site and the straw bills that you grew to make the walls. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's, it also makes a really interesting and, and different uh, visitor experience. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I can see bringing a bottle from home. To drink here. I could. <laughs> there you go. Know, you were you uh, better vision than I did. So. <laughs> well, you know, I, I hate to. Uh, I, look, I sold real estate for 20 years, and, and, and I still find myself searching for words to describe this place. I don't want to yeah, say California, or, you know, although I can see yeah. the place of Sonoma or somewhere else. Well, I've heard New Mexico before yeah. a little bit. Yeah. I heard, uh, you know, with the, with, the li with the lime plaster on the outside, there's actually a lot of this kind of thing in Europe. Mm -hmm. But um, 
just the, the line plaster and then the, the curves and things, the things you can do when you use natural materials like yeah. straw bales, you can make a curved wall uh, pretty easily. What you can't do is make a straight and flat wall because yeah. those kind of things are not straight and flat. It takes a lot of work to make things look conventional. So we've not, we've, we've said, well, let's just leave it the way it is. And uh, we, we, we like it. So. so you've been in the business now going on almost two decades, <coughs> approaching your second decade. And um, I do some reporting in Annapolis. I'll be doing some in the fall. So I always like asking business owners about uh, laws. I, I guess I should start all this with a shout out to the, the fact that when we started this, mm -hmm. the laws in Maryland were really poor. Yes. It, it was very difficult I know to do what we've done. Yes. And they made a tremendous amount of changes. Uh, and Kevin Addicks and the, and the Wineries Association deserve tons of credit. And mm -hmm. also the, the government in, in Annapolis to the point where we have a pretty darn good environment. Yeah. Uh, Maryland is one of the better states for, for doing what we do. So um, I don't really have a great agenda at the state level. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our experience is, I think, the opposite of what we'll, a lot of people think in terms of working with governments. We, Because we're in the alcohol business, yeah. we have to work with the federal government, uh, the, the Tax and Trade Bureau and, and uh, all of that to get label approvals and make sure we have licensing and all of that. We have to work with the state to, uh, again, you know, track what we do and then all the state laws involved. And then we have to work with the local government, of course, because we're building buildings and doing all that. Uh, our experience is that the, our work with the federal government, they've been, uh, their rules are pretty darn clear. When we mess something up, they say, oh, no problem, just refill this form, send it in, very easy to work with. State has been pretty good. Uh, you know, it'd be nice if they if they automated some of the forms we have to do. But I understand the budget's not there for, for all the IT work they'd have to do. So I understand that. Uh, it, if I had to change anything, it would be the local uh, zoning, um, building permit rules, which uh, are just a bear. Mm -hmm. And and this is not specific to wineries. They're, it's just really, really hard and expensive to start something because of, uh, you know, rules with the fire marshal and rules with this and rules with that, and some of which make some sense and some of which are just at crossroads with each other and you, right. you want to tear your hair out. So right. uh, that that's the part. The state of Maryland, I'd say I'd give an A for, for, for the, the work they've done um, the, at the county level of, of things like fire rules and stormwater and all of that, uh, boy, they need some work. So. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I do a lot of traveling uh, in the United States. I wish I could do more international traveling, but uh, as I mentioned before, it's only been recently that I've become familiar with Maryland wine like I should as a Marylander. But I was a big no, advocate. No, no of guilt <laughs> involved. No guilt involved. Yeah. A, big, a big advocate of Virginia wine. Yeah, so when absolutely. I would go traveling yeah. and I would tell, you know, go to these restaurants and talk to the Psalms and yep. I'd tell them, yep. you know, I would mention Virginia wine. Some would be semi familiar, others would look at me a little puzzled. Mm -hmm. And I would tell them about different grapes and, and yep. blends and stuff. Um, you know, uh, Oregon has developed a, a reputation for Pinot, and then mm -hmm. you have some, you know, different uh, vintages that come out of California. What, what would you like this region, the Mid Atlantic region, should be known for? What do you think it should be known for? Uh, well, I, I think let's start with Mid-Atlantic region. Okay. Um, that's way too big okay. for the wine world. 
uh, if you think about like uh, Europe, I mean, look at a map and, and stick oh, sure. the Mid-Atlantic on top of it. You're going from the from Bordeaux to the Rhone Valley. Like, yeah. There's about 18 wine regions in that spot, okay. and so we will be we will be very different um, than parts of Pennsylvania, than southern and southern Virginia is very different from northern Virginia, sure. which is very different from the west of the Shenandoah to the east of the Shenandoah. Sure. There, we will all make some good wines, but I think our identity when we try to tie our identity together, we we it, it fuzzes it up. Okay. We need to get much more local than that, okay. I think. Um, and I'm a, and I'm an extreme soil guy, so I, I will say, you know, we go to winemaker meetings. I'm 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 the one who thinks soil <laughs> rules all, and I'm you know I'm probably too extreme, but um, but uh, so that's a. Uh, so is this the Piedmont region? Is this where we're, where we're Yeah, I think we're, we're in the Piedmont plateau. Of, okay. Yeah, okay. if you look at the geological maps, you know where Africa smashed into North North America way back when. We're all right in that 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 spot um, okay. but the the soils change very different very radically uh, even around here from one place to another never mind from here to uh, I don't know, Charlottesville yeah uh, we have extremely different soils and slightly different climates not hugely different but but enough to make a difference uh, and I think one of the things that Sarah and I learned in our travels was that you know, we'd go out to California and the West Coast, and, and you just hear talk constantly about things like the diurnal temperature change from nighttime till daytime, and then the winds coming off this thing come up and cool off in the morning, and the fog comes here, and it's there till noon, and then, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, it's cool up in the mountains, and it's, but it's warmer at night, and then on the valley floor, it's really hot during the day, and it's cold at night, and, and uh, but climate, 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 climate. Right. Uh, we think that's much less important here. We all have pretty decent climates to grow different things. What's really important is the soil because we get so much rain. Uh, where it doesn't rain, climate rules. Where it does rain, soil rules. Uh, that's, that's our belief. When you first bought this place, you sounded like you uh, planted pretty much Bordeaux grapes. Yep. yep. Uh, as it turns out, I guess it's good soil for those grapes, correct, that you have here? Are there some that you planted that you, I think everything you mentioned, you're still producing. Is that yep. correct? Yep. Uh, is there anything that you pulled back on or you, or you realized we um, need to plant a whole lot more of this grape because it does better here? We're still learning that, yeah. I think. Um, I, I guess I, um, another thing we learned from, from, I think, from California, that we think doesn't supply so much here is the focus on varieties, mm. and and even more the varietals, which is the wine made from one variety. Sure. Um, I, my belief right now, and I reserve the right to change because we're <laughs> even even almost twenty years as newbies at this. Sure. So, uh, but in the right soil here, we can grow almost anything. Yeah. So on the same farm here, we're growing Cabernet Sauvignon and Chardonnay and Albarino and. They can all be absolutely fabulous, but at a at a uh, a place with a, a different kind of soil, we don't think we could grow Cabernet Sauvignon. We don't think we could grow Syrah. Uh, we don't think we could grow Grenache. The the picky high end reds are the difficult ones. The whites, mostly, you can do pretty well at. Um, so if you ask if there's one I would do differently. Uh, Probably Viognier. Okay. 
Hmm. We planted it because it had been so successful in Virginia. Yeah. But we have very un-Virginia-like soils here. Well, that's a that's a good example and of what, I was, what you, we were it, just talking it's, about. Yeah. yeah, it's one that that it's making some really nice wine for us, but it took us 10, 11 years to get it there. Right. And it's not the best adapted variety for what we're doing. It's it's too weak a plant mm. to do well here. Uh, it's just less vigorous than most of the other uh, vinifera varieties. In Virginia, much in generalization, because there are lots of soil changes there, but in general, the, the, uh, the soil is much more vigorous. So a devigorating vine works perfectly and, and becomes in balance. Here, we have really lousy soils that, that are mostly rock and drain like crazy and have no nutrients in them. <laughs> so we have this plot of Viognier that, that just we've been throwing compost on for yeah, years trying to yeah. get it big enough to actually uh, be able to ripen its grapes. So, yeah, wrong wrong variety for our, for our situation. Uh, but the other ones, yeah, I, I would have, if you asked me this question three years ago, I might have told you that Malbec uh -huh. as well is not well saluted for here, but all of a sudden it has decided to kick it into gear and make nice. some really nice wines. So uh, now I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. Nice. Okay. Well, I'm, we're going to, this is uh, the last part of the interview I like to call Last Call, yeah. which is uh, just a little bit about you and your personal preferences about certain things. Yeah. Uh, it can be a Great. short answer or a long answer. Great. It make a difference. Fire away. Is there a grape, a particular grape variety that you like to grow or appreciate better than more than the others is there a favorite one grape? that i grow here yeah or, or even one that you don't grow here but you you know you, you wish you well, could i i think we're really proud of our cabernet sauvignon that mm -hmm. we can get it to the to the levels of wine we want to make um it's also really really easy to grow here <laughs> which is nice <laughs> that by the way is another great let me stay with that that somebody yeah. i've heard other uh grape growers and not necessarily winemakers uh, say that they think it's kind of finicky in this area, but they were in, they live they live in Virginia. They're in yep. Virginia, so it might be exactly e even what in Maryland. It, it is the diva uh, of wine grapes. Hmm. Um, but doesn't it grow pretty easily out in California? Like if here, it, it, but no. Am I uh, yeah, it grows. It grows. Um, easily what, in what, what, yeah, easily in quotes. <laughs> it's it makes a very different wine. So it, it, that, that, we don't get into all that, right. but, it, it, but California Cabernet Sauvignon is very different from Bordeaux Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, gotcha. Just just a completely different animal. Gotcha. Um, so, and you get that from all the heat and, and everything mm -hmm. up there. What, what Cabernet Sauvignon needs is warm soils and not much water mm. uh, and not much uh, nutrient. That's hard to do out here where we have these big fluffy white irrigators in the sky that open up whenever the heck they want to. So we, we can't really schedule that. Right. In California, most of California, it stops raining in the 1st of May and it does not rain again until November. Right. So they, the, 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 it's why the, the growing of grapes is so different out there yeah. than it is here. Out there, man is in control. Right. Here, we're counterpunchers. Right to what nature throws at us. And we need, a, we need a vineyard that is light on its feet and can adapt to whatever. You know, when we, we had one of the rainiest uh, Mays ever yeah. in this region. And now we've had how many days of 90, some like 95 degrees and hot in <laughs> row. The, the vineyard has to be able to adapt to that. Yeah. And, and the soil is just a huge, huge part of that. Yeah. In California, soil's not as important because you can, you can basically put the, the vines on a, 
you know, a, a, a whatever diet you want to put them on. Yeah. yeah. So it's different. Is there a wine food pairing that is your favorite? Oh, yeah. Wine and anything. <laughs> that sounds like mine. Yeah. I mean, um, Usually, my favorite pairing is a wine I really like and a food I really like, and throw out all the other rules. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, you're looking for a specific thing? Mm. Not necessarily. No. I mean, I, I think we put too much into that. Yeah. Um, you know, whites with fish and reds with meat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. I, no, I, I, I too much effort this into question it. all the time. It would be hard uh, for me to answer it all, too. So, yeah. I, I, I understand. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Uh, is there a, uh, do you get, I know you, you're very busy, so you probably don't get a chance to, but have you had a chance to go down to Virginia and go to any yeah. of the wineries down there? Yes. Uh, is there a winery or a winemaker, uh, in that region that you particularly like what they're doing or are you, uh, yeah, I love, you know? um, uh, I, I hate to pick one out cause I, I there are many well, of them can, that well, I like, but, but, um, uh, Matthew Fino at, at King Family mm -hmm. is doing some really wonderful wines and some really wonderful experience, uh, experiments. Yeah. Uh, he's a very thinking guy who's who's trying a bunch of really cool things and and uh, made an orange wine this year that I got to try, which oh, is wow. which is uh, one of the best I've ever had. And yeah. and it was interesting talking to him about it because he said I I don't really like much many orange wines. Yeah. But I, there are specific things I don't like. Doesn't them. sound so good I said, to me. So I'm gonna, he said, well, I'm going to try to make one that doesn't have volatile acidity and yeah. doesn't have nasty uh, tannin bitterness on the finish. And what do, you, what do you know? He made this beautiful one, which has neither of those things, and it's really good. Wow. So, I, I, uh, yeah, when I, if I get down to the Charlottesville area, I will always try to go by and, uh, and see what uh, experiments Matthew is up to because he's, He's uh, really good and, and thinking and making some nice wines. Yeah. That's so. If you uh, were chosen by the state of Maryland yeah. to represent the state yep. in a national in a competition among winemaking states, yep. and you had to bring two bottles from this uh, vineyard of your stuff, what two bottles would you take? Vintage and also? It, yeah. It, yeah. Can, it can be whatever. Um, okay. Maryland's counting well, on you. I would take I would take a bottle of our Crumbling Rock Red Bordeaux blend. Um, depends when it is. What's drinking well? I probably would take a 2013. Okay. Uh, the 2010 is also really good, but a little atypical for us. Uh, if I were going out west, maybe I would take a 2010 because it's a little more Californianish. Uh, 2013 is a little more Bordeauxish, and I love it. Um, but I could take any of many um, vintages of that wine. It's great. Uh, I got the 2015 on Friday. Okay, great. <laughs> that's another one that's going to be, I think, yeah. really good. Uh, and I would probably take a bottle of Syrah, mm. uh, and I would pick a Leafstone, um, maybe 2011, which was a great year for the Syrah, uh, or possibly also... Uh, well, the 16 we have down the cellar is really good. We haven't released it yet. Yeah, uh, yeah some one of those. Uh, 13's also really good. Wow. So, so I think I would take two reds. It's tempting to take an Albarino also. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've many different vintages. So. Yeah, that's a that's a, a wine that I'm just developing a 
discernment for it mm-hmm. now. I love yeah. it. So it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting grape. And, and uh, Sarah and I spent three or four days in, in um, northern Spain in Rio Baixas, the, the region where where Albarino is most grown in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, just going around, we probably tried, I don't know, 60 or 100 different wines, mm-hmm. trying to get a sense of what they're doing differently hard with work, it, trying hard. with it. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a tough job when you, yeah. somebody's <laughs> got to do it. And um, it was fascinating to see yeah. all the things that people are trying, but we, we came back and said, you know, we're pretty happy with the way we're doing it Good. and, uh, Good. and uh, the wines we're making. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Ed, I want to thank you very much for Great. allowing me to interview you uh, yeah. and having me here at your beautiful uh, vineyard. And uh, is there anything, the mic is yours, is there anything yeah. you'd like uh, listeners to know about I, uh, Black I, Ankle? I'm just going to, well, I'm going to put in a plug for Maryland wine, or at least central Maryland wine. I, 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 I really do believe that we, there's a band of soils that comes up through the middle of Maryland uh, into southern Pennsylvania, uh, which is going to make the best red wines on the East Coast. It might be 30 years from now, it might be 10 years from now, until we figure it out, but the places where we have the best soil are are up here, and so I I think we may have gotten a little bit later start than than Virginia or some of the other surrounding states, but... uh, I expect us to catch up and really fast and maybe surpass some of those in the next 20, 30, 40 years. Things move slowly in this business, so yeah, it will take yeah. us a while, but yeah. but I think the potential is there. Wow. So. Okay, great. Well, thank great. you very much. You're very welcome. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, there's another episode in the books. I'd like to thank a few people who helped make this whole thing possible. Ed Boyce and Sarah O'Haran of Black Ankle Vineyards, thank you very much for your hospitality. I had a great time at your place. I'd like to thank the staff of Black Ankle, Melissa, Caitlin, and Becca. I could not have pulled this off without your assistance. If any of you listening are ever in the vicinity of Mount Airy, Maryland, or if you're just visiting Maryland and you're a wine lover, I highly recommend you stop by Black Ankle and say hello. As always, I'd like to thank Mom for having me and for being my rock and stabilizer. The notorious JMZ, Joan Zimmerman. I want to thank you for your support and your suggestions. Your assistance and your advice are invaluable. And Jack, you're the best pug a guy could ever want. Wherever you listen to this podcast, whether it be Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry, or wherever, please rate us and subscribe. I know it's a little thing, but it's free and it helps us out a whole lot. We really would appreciate it. Also look for our Facebook page, the number one, two podcast and like us and also follow us on Instagram at the number one, two podcast. All of our music, including our theme song, Tasty Freeze was created, produced, written and supplied by Cadillac Grip. If you're ever in Denver or Boulder, Colorado, go see Cadillac Grip play because if you ain't hip to the grip, you just ain't hip. The number one, two podcast was written, recorded, engineered, produced, and screwed up by me. I'm Howard Fletcher. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.
like to party, y'all. 